Today, extreme consolidation and accelerated digital transformation is changing the global business landscape. To win, businesses must embrace agility and use automation to address customer needs. It's all about adopting a customer experience strategy that speeds decisions, reduces risk, and enables real-time customer engagements to stay relevant, valued, and in demand. Hi, I'm Wilson Raj, and welcome to this episode of Reimagine Marketing Podcast, Rule the World with Customer Experience. I'm super excited to have my guest, Ray Wong, founder, chairman, and principal analyst of the Silicon Valley-based Constellation Research. Ray is an expert in this field. He's well-known. He hosts a weekly enterprise and uh, business leadership uh, webcast called Disrupt TV that averages 50,000 views per episode. He's also a prolific writer authoring a business strategy blog that has received millions of page views per month. Uh, Ray also serves as the non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Geotech Center, and he has been on countless stages and keynotes all over the planet. So welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot, Wilson. And finally, I'm now on your stage. So thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, glad to be on your Reimagine Marketing podcast. Hey, it's fantastic because I know, you know, we, we do a lot of things together and it's always uh, to see you in action. And it's nice to actually, for selfish reasons, have you on this podcast to really have a, a great conversation on, on a lot of things you have done. But certainly, I think your your latest book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and uh, I think I'm going to start there first, Ray. Uh, you know, this book certainly is a timely read. The backdrop is certainly COVID-19 scenarios. It has digital transformation. But your thesis there is that that itself is not enough. And as I kind of read through some of the, the reviews and the summaries, you have been really aligning around some historical narratives, uh, bringing in Alexander the Great, Quoting the British military strategist, and he says, Time was his constant ally. He capitalized every moment, never pondered on it, and thereby achieves his ends before the others had settled on their means. That is J.F.C. Fuller on Alexander the Great. So let's start there. What was the impetus and the main thesis for this book? Yeah, taking a step back, uh, we started Constellation in 2010, focused on digital transformation. I wrote a book that kind of summarized the theses of the company, uh, which is Disrupting Digital Business, that was published by Harvard Business Review Press. Uh, that book laid out the groundwork for where digital transformation was happening, why data was such an important asset, how people were building new business models. So in 2018, I started the process. You know, they tell you to write the book after the book comes out for your next book. I forgot to do that. So, so five years later, I'm like, okay, let's see what happened. And we started looking at companies in 2018, understand what was going on. 2019, we started to get some weird trends. And we realized that, wait, digital transformation, as you were putting, is not enough. Mm. Uh, something is going on here. We got a different class of companies that were exceeding expectations. And it wasn't just like, oh, it was like 1X or 2X. Let's put this in context. In 2017, Facebook 
Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, their market cap was about two trillion. Add Microsoft, they were about two trillion. Mm -hmm. The Fangs plus Microsoft today, their market cap is over ten and a half trillion. Never before in the history of capitalism, in the history of organizations, have companies of that size and scale quintupled. Yeah. And so usually they get big, they get you know sloppy, they get lazy, they forget what side of their mission is, right? They have a bad management team in the back end. Their products no longer scale up. But in a digital world, these companies completely change the game. And so the book starts out by talking about what are the elements of these digital giants, what's required to partner and compete with digital giants, what that life cycle is going to look like. And of course, how do we keep fair and free markets as we regulate digital giants? You know, that, that's a, such a fantastic statement because you're right. Digital transformation in and of itself is not enough, right? There are other factors. And I think there's a there's a great concept that, that you have coined decision velocity. I, I love that because, you know, you and I have been talking quite a bit, right, in our engagements around, uh, and I quote you, right, data to decisions, right? And now this term decision velocity really bridges and spans that gap. Can, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that and, and some examples of, of what you have seen in your really expansive research, not just for this book, but I think really over your career? I appreciate that. Decision velocity kind of works like this. You and I make a decision per second, but it takes us, what, a day to get out of management committee? Mm-hmm. A week? a quarter, maybe a year, right? It takes us a long time, right? And most people have that challenge. They're constrained by the, you know, decision-making capacity of an organization. Machines make a hundred decisions per second, even thousands of decisions per second. That asymmetry is what we're competing against. Companies that can make faster, more precise decisions on a consistent basis are going to win. They're going to create an exponential advantage by being able to do that. And to deliver on decision velocity There are a couple of things you have to do, and three of them are important. This is analytics, automation, and AI. We have to ask the right business questions. That's what the analytics comes in. And sometimes the answers don't exist. We have to find sources. They're external sources, internal sources. And automation, because that's how we actually collect the data and the information and insights, and how we actually scale up by bringing that information and collecting at a much faster rate. And then the last piece is the AI. That's, That's the basis of the business graph. That's the basis of these new companies, which are these data-driven digital networks. These are the platforms, the 100-year platforms with multi-sided data networks that they're powering. And AI provides that capability to have the institutional memory, to build the business graph, the intersection of a customer, an employee, a supplier, a partner with an object like an invoice or an ad or an order or Mm -hmm. a request and the context Weather, location, time, thinking about your sentiment. Wait, what was your heart rate, Wilson? All right. Are you smiling when that you're you know in that engagement? Who were you with? All that data is being captured for future use so that they can anticipate what's next. Right. I, I think those three A's, right? Analytics, automation, AI is really the the fundamental sort of crucible in which that decision velocity happens. And I really love you know, uh, frameworks like that because it really helps, I think, business leaders and, and marketing leaders to really hang their technology, you know, stack on their, their organizational structure, even measurement. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those things uh, you know, further down. And uh, and you mentioned business graph, and I do have a specific question on that bit later too. But as you see, you know, in, in, your, in your research and putting this book together, I mean, you came up with very surprising examples. And these are not the, the digital natives per se. These were some 
old, older, traditional brands that have really adopted those three A's, analytics, automation, and AI. Can you, can you speak to some of those and maybe some of the surprising things you found in terms of customer experience and, and meeting consumer needs? Yeah, we saw that. I mean, uh, some great examples where I think we use Philips uh, as an example of how they're using data to compete, how that data is actually changing the way we look at healthcare. Every device has become a sensor. We looked at companies like Honeywell in terms of their connected buildings and their ability to actually build digital twins of buildings and kind of deliver on that. And and we started to see, you know, other examples where, you know, people have built businesses that are on data. And and I'll give you an example in, in terms of industries that are collapsing against data value change. Mm-hmm. Communications, right? Telecom, media, uh, entertainment, um, software, and tech. They're really the same business today. Mm. We have a digital asset. That digital asset gets put out through distribution networks. Those distribution networks run on a technology platform, and we basically try to build the biggest customer networks that we can. And you, you see that, right? Whether you're selling a a game, music, a video, a live stream audio, enterprise software, it's really the same set of business models and monetization models. And so that's why we see comms, media, entertainment, and telco collapse and come together. Right. Retail, manufacturing, distribution, same thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to see that hospitality, healthcare, that sounds an interesting one. Hospitality, healthcare, and, and uh, insurance, well, those are really experiences, right? And they're data-driven experiences. So, so we'll see more of this types of collapsing around data value chains. And I think that's where people should spend some time understanding where upstream data, downstream data come together in the cloud. And more importantly, how that data is being used, consumed, or being able to be created as inputs. You know, I think that's a really fascinating idea, Ray, around not just CX innovation within a vertical, right, or a sector. It's these multi-industries coming together, as you mentioned, there's different combinations. And, yes. and probably there are other combinations that, that we have not even seen yet. And that is now uh, the totality of the experience, right? And therefore, that, that data becomes that connective glue. So it's really, uh, I think it's an important point for our audience to listen to. There's one thing I want to press on, and, and you've mentioned it so many times, and this notion in your book, you call it data supremacy, Right with analytics and, and automation is sort of accelerating. And, uh, and you talked about, I think you tweeted this, and it's, it's certainly in your book, that data is a foundation of every customer experience powered moment. Every company will have to be competing for data supremacy. So c- can you unpack that? There's a lot in that tweet, in that sentence. Uh, what are some of those attributes that can be gleaned and, and be practical for our listeners? Yeah, it's important to think about data. Um, It's really about having that analytical mindset, asking the right business questions. Part of the challenge in in most organizations is they only ask questions to answers they have. Mm -hmm. And and that works, right? I mean, you want to know what your performance is. You want to know where you are in terms of profit margin, how many employees you have. That's great, right? Those are answers you know. But let me ask you this question. Should we add 10 more people to the marketing team or do we add 1 million to the budget? Which one's going to get a better lift and which one's going to drive more revenue? Right. Now, you and I know we can't answer that question right now because we, we really don't know. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because we don't have all the data sources we should be putting together. And many times we actually don't even know where those data sources are supposed to be. But when we start asking those types of questions, we start getting closer to business alignment. And by getting closer to business alignment, we can start figuring out 
about what techniques to apply and more importantly as well, what tools to apply. And so, so that's, that's an example of where this is headed. Um, the other way to look at this as well is once you have that in place, we want to deliver on what we call precision decisions mm. and precision decisions are hard, right? We make exceptions all the time. We break rules all the time and automation doesn't know that that's happening. And so if we can actually figure out how to augment that, reduce the number of false positives, reduce the number of false negatives, we can improve precision in that process. And we want to automate precision decisions because we want to bring this to a point where when we see a gap, we can actually improve the false positive, false negatives rate and improve the precision. And then we get to that concept we talked earlier about, which is decision velocity. Right. How do we use that to drive decision velocity? And so this whole notion of what you asked about competing on data supremacy in that chapter and in that, in that lesson learned is the fact that organizations that understand that data is their most critical asset are the ones that are going to win on data supremacy. And you apply, you get information to the cloud, you think about the impact of data, and then you apply the three A's of decision, velocity, analytics, automation, and AI, and that's how you come to it. But there is one more piece around autonomous enterprises. Is there time to talk about that? Absolutely, Ray. Okay. So, so the autonomous enterprises are important because in every single business process, we're going to ask four questions. Okay. When do we fully intelligently automate something. Yeah. Now, I'll take you back to um, senior year in college. There was a class I wanted to take on a Thursday night so I could avoid a Friday class to make my major and graduate. And it was a class on the history of something like, you know, you know, train accidents, something, something like that, you know, one of those kind of classes where you're just trying to fulfill a requirement. Sounds rather esoteric there. <laughs> yeah, it was very esoteric along with the history of the American automobile. But um, so, so this class was interesting because in the history of train accidents, it was the conductor was asleep. The conductor was drunk. The conductor was on a mobile phone, right? Mm -hmm. So it was always human error that drove that. Now, when you go to an airport that has a self-service automated monorail or connector between different terminals, do you see anybody driving that thing? No, yep. it's fully automated. And in fact, not only is it only fully automated, there might have been maybe a handful of recorded accidents ever with these kind of you know, devices. And, and it's automation of a train. So we have full intelligent automation today. The second question that we ask is, when do we augment the machine with a human? And that's where we start to train and pair these machines. And that's where the false positives, false negatives also get looked at. Because what we're trying to do is figure out where are the errors, right? Why is something not perfect? So 99% accuracy in manufacturing is not bad. We want a few more nines. We get that. Right. You know? But 99% accuracy in healthcare, would you take, Wilson? Yeah, I think not in this day and age. Probably. But your doctor's only 87% accurate, wow. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so we believe that the human is more accurate when the machine is actually more accurate. Yeah. And we expect higher, uh, we have higher expectations for machines than we do on humans, yeah. right? That's what we've just, we've proven this over and over again. But that's what happens when we augment the machine with the human. But then we're going to augment the human with the machine. And that's different. That's where we democratize data. We give people the access. They make the insights. They jump in and they use that information to make faster decisions. And then at some point, you and I are going to trust human judgment. So let me give an example. It's 2 a.m. I'm checking into a lower budget hotel in the RDU area. I don't want to see the clerk. I want to choose my room. I want to tell them my preferences. I'm allergic to feather. And I want a late checkout and an invoice sent to me and a mobile key. I don't really want to see anybody, right? That's fully automated self-service in the back end. But imagine if I'm checking in at the Umstead. 
right? I want to pull up to the driveway. I want the door person to welcome me. I want to smell the scent air burst. Oh, it smells like the Umstead. I want to see the flowers, right? I want someone to hand me a flute of something to drink and someone to greet me and say hello. I'm the same person. Nothing changed, right? And our ability to offer choices and friction when there's value or automate when it's more necessary, that's what's driving the future customer experience. That's what's driving how decision velocity plays a role. And that's where analytics, automation, and AI come together. Right. And I think, you know, this is really, I think, what you're building up to with the sort of uh, the decision velocity, right, with uh, data as a foundation activated by those three A's is coming down to this notion of immersive, right? Uh, and, and what you call ambient customer experiences uh, that's really delivered for you know, mass personalization and at scale. So you know, we did some research. We found that you know, brands are really stepping up in a separate survey we did you know, recently, a Pulse survey to Experience 2030, which is around the future of experience, around how they are accelerating their deployment of customer-facing technologies such as AI. Uh, AR, VR, holographics, customer journey analytics. And we found that the cohort that was just, this was mid-pandemic that we surveyed, that 33% of brands are accelerating them and shortening those timelines by literally 24 to 36 months. So that's, that's not trivial. That's really huge. So the question is, you know, this notion around ambient experiences, uh, you know, there's mass personalization, and then at scale, you know, great to hear, but sometimes it may seem at odds with each other. So, you know, as you did your research and from your findings you know, and just your experience, how how these two elements you know, reconciled uh, from a immersive, right, a- ambient experiences, like the example that you talked about, what's the, what's the underlying, some of the principles or, or, or enablers to be able to do mass, but then you know, at at scale on top of it. Great point. Uh, What's happening in the world of ambient experiences, these are things that are happening in the background. They're being observatory. They're understanding what you're doing. They're applying relevance and context to make things happen. And the idea is that in a digital world, every choice you make has a demand signal. It informs of what's going on. And so we actually see that the context plus the choices plus the ability to deliver on anticipatory analytics give people the capability to actually, you know, personalize over scale, right? That's that's the fundamental thing. But I'll take something even mm-hmm. step back. Let's use a work example, your return to work. You know, you come into the office, it's two in the afternoon, 27 point facial scan, you know, you know, gate analysis says, hey, that looks like Wilson. Not like you have a lot of skyscrapers for you, but imagine you're working in a 50 story building and uh, you walk in into the lobby and it's two in the morning and, you know, you've been standing there for 20 seconds they should actually send an elevator down. Like, what are they waiting for? You don't need to push a button. There's someone sitting there and they've come in through for 20 seconds. Okay, great. You swipe your badge, the digital exhaust and the digital footprint starts kicking in. It says, hey, we think it was the guy on the 14th floor. Now we know it's the guy on the 14th floor because he swiped the badge. You get into the elevator and the console says, hey, would you like to go to the 14th floor? You know, your glasses have a little VR chip in there. It says, hey, would you like to go to the 14th floor? Your phone says, hey, would you like to go to the 14th floor? I mean, these are immersive experiences. It doesn't matter what channel you're in. You know, it suddenly says, hey, would you like to go to the 15th floor? But wait. Your boss, she's on the 48th floor and you've got a 15 minute window and you could actually make it and set up a meeting with her. Would you like to meet up with your boss? 
Hmm, that's very interesting. Now, there's a 90% probability you would have gone to the 14th floor, but now we've entertained another idea and there's a 70% possibility you might catch up with your boss who you've been trying to catch up with for the last right. three weeks. So choice number two pops up. But wait, there's more. There are free donuts on the 10th floor. <laughs> oh, that would be, a, I'd be rushing right there. <laughs> See, so, so I'm learning. Your decision of choosing the donuts on the 10th floor was smart, but did you take those donuts to, back to the office? Did you eat it yourself? Well, share it with the boss. Or did you give it to your boss on the way up? There you go. There you go. Share it with the boss, right? And that's the learning, right? And so right. what do we do? We just walk through this. We talked about the fact that we digital exhaust, right? Then we figured out how we were going to deliver on a set of immersive experiences. Those immersive experiences didn't care what channel you're in, right? They basically took the context. They understood what was going on, delivered different channels. Then we actually started delivering the personalization at scale. We had anticipatory analytics. I gave you a bunch of catalysts that inspired you to make a set of choices. If you took the choices, we had value exchange. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's consensus. We had a meeting request. Sometimes it's an action. You forwarded something that's non-monetary. And sometimes you paid for something. It was a transaction. And what we start studying is the cadence of those interactions, which we learn over time. We apply to our ML models and we start bringing that process back in again. And we know what you did last time when you go back into the lobby at two in the afternoon. And maybe there's not a meeting request that's open, but maybe you'll take the free bunt cake on floor three. Right. You know, I think you've really introduced, uh, I think, just a very interesting model, right, or a framework. When we talk about ambient and immersive experiences, most of the time is more around, at least from what I have seen, Ray, connecting digital and physical, which is definitely a part of it. And, and, and your example around this elevator experience shows that. But behind that, there's a lot more. I think I love this, the context and choice and action and then predicated by learning underneath that, where, you know, each moment this system is learning yes. and then providing you know, better options, more predictive, uh, forward-looking kinds of, of choices for the consumer or the, the person to take. Yes. So I think that that's a really a new, fresh uh, idea. So appreciate that. There is one term, Ray, that you mentioned earlier on that I think is part of this dynamic and, uh, you know, you, you talked about uh, brands or organizations building a business graph, right? Uh, very much of uh, how social networks have a social graph. Yes. So what does that mean, you know, as a brand? You know, uh, what are the aspects or attributes, you know, practically of building a business graph for differentiated CX? You know, what, what are the componentry there? Yeah, the business graph is anything from, you know, the, the CDP on the back end, your ability to figure mm -hmm. out relevance, your marketing intelligence, your customer intelligence, the analytics on the back end. But, but let's take a step back. Like social graphs and social networks, it's that interface, right, between the customer and a object and the relevancy on the back end that we talked about. And when you build out the business graph, what happens is you're using the volume of information and the levels of connectedness that you have to other networks, what you're starting to do is identify patterns. Because what we're trying to do is go from data to decisions. Lots of data, lots of insight in the business graph. Let's align them to something like a business process, incident to resolution, order to cash, campaign to lead. And what we want to do is start mining for patterns. And so you need a lot of data in the back end to make this happen. Right. So that becomes sort of a template, almost like a, akin to a customer profile. Yes. But enterprise wide for CX and then to be able to activate on that, you know, merging the technology and the intelligence and certainly the 
the outcomes in terms of journeys and and uh, and moments. Have you seen you know just on that path alone examples of companies, big or small, traditional or digitally native, that are you know doing those kinds of things particularly well? Yeah, let's take a great example. I mean, let's take Tesla, right? Okay. People are like, oh, they're doing EVs, and you know that's great. But at the heart of it, Tesla is a data company. Mm -hmm. Those cameras that are driving around are capturing location information, mapping data, um, the you know the analytics behind your car behaviors, powering the future of Tesla insurance. Right? You could get underwritten by Tesla because they've got better data than the insurance companies on your performance, on your safety records. Right? They're building electric grid management capabilities with not just your car, which is you know a a source and not just a charger or solar panels, which is also source, uh, but also what happens when you like interact between the choices, right? What's your peak demand? Uh, what do ISOs have to do? Can you provide additional demand by, you know, rerouting what you put into the batteries, right? And so you can see all across the board how much Tesla is uh, a data-driven digital network. It's a data-driven company and we're seeing them compete for data supremacy. Right. I you know, appreciate that. Thank you. That's a great example. I'm sure there are others. And I think what you said within that, there's a salient point. Tesla is a data company. And I think by definition, every company is a data company. They just don't know it yet. Right. To be able to succeed. I think in this new world, yeah, there's no getting way around it. Uh, wow. You know, for the audience, just to summarize, I think, you know, a couple of points. At the end of the day, capturing data is really what allows long-term success for customer experience in this very, very complex, changing digital world. To survive, really, brands need to rethink everything. You know, yeah. journeys, yeah. experiences in the way that you talked yeah. about, right? Anticipatory, immersive, but yet having that business graph to be able to, to optimize those linkages between the data, the technology, and certainly the, the whatever, the experience interface. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the automation and the AI that helps to power that. That's a great summary. So just, uh, you know, before we wrap up, you are a, a person that you're just prolific, right? You're thinking about these things. You're, you're, so I'm just, uh, I'm sure the audience is also curious as to what other topics are you researching or pondering about that are taking brands from status quo to become a market leader or market disruptor? Uh, what are the other you know, concepts that's you know, buzzing around your brain that, uh, that, that you think you want to maybe write another book on? So if I were to write a book today, there are two book ideas I would do. One is more tech-related. The other one's a little bit different. Okay. Um, the tech-related one would be about the metaverse economy, ah. where DeFi, decentralization, where new digital worlds are going to play, the gap between the analog physical world and the digital world, how do those interfaces and interactions occur, and of course, how these transactions are occurring with blockchain, DeFi, with uh, what's happening with cryptocurrencies and new types of coins with NFTs and what's happening with the representation of digital assets. That's where we see this future on the metaverse economy. Cool. Well, we can't wait for that. And in the meantime, I would encourage our audience to pick up your book. Ray, any the tips there? Yeah. I'm Everybody wants to rule the world and it's not the Tears for Fears song. And by the way, I had a quick question on that one, Ray. Did you have to get permission from those guys or... You actually don't for book titles, but we do. Okay, if good. You, I was if wondering Kurt Smith that. is listening around, happy to sit down <laughs> with you, catch up. Maybe we'll bring you in to actually do a cover live or something fun. But <laughs> oh, uh, man, yeah, that would be something. That would be awesome. So, but hey, tips on the book, really simple. If you're building a digital giant, there's five lessons learned. Here's the cliff notes. Disintermediate the customer account control. 
build the biggest network, compete for data supremacy, figure out digital monetization models and play the long game. That's how digital giants work. And there you have it, folks. Uh, great spot to wrap up this discussion. Pearls of wisdom there, but I would encourage everyone to get the book at your favorite bookstore. That's it for this week's episode of the Reimagine Marketing Podcast. Thank you, Ray, for joining in. Thanks a lot, Wilson. Always a pleasure. Same here. Now, if you enjoyed today's show, be sure to head on over to sas.com slash Reimagine Marketing Podcast, all one word, to join this conversation and discover more fantastic bonus content. You can obviously also subscribe to the series on your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for Reimagine Marketing. So stay in touch uh, and share your topic uh, or guest ideas by also emailing us at Reimagine Marketing Podcast, all one word at sas.com. So till then, don't forget to join us for another episode. And thank you for listening. Have a good day.